Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me, your host, Paul Swindell. Today I'm going to do an episode about travelling because it's quite a common subject within the group. A couple of aspects about that actually. The actual going on holiday and the travelling and the the effect of travelling, heat and things like that and insurance. Uh, These are posts that crop up quite often within the group and so I just thought I'd uh, put them all together into one episode. I did request some info or some suggestions and ideas from other members of the group and they've uh, given me some feedback and I'm using that and also the um, some of the essence of the article or blog article that Imogen Guest did for us a few years ago now, I think it was. And Imogen is a travel professional and so I've uh, got some good advice there. I mean, uh, when I'm talking about travelling, I'm talking uh, regards to travelling post-SCA because everyone has to travel and, you know, we all have to put up with the the aspects of travelling that everyone else has to. But when you go post-SCA, there's, there's two perhaps things that you may need to uh, consider in addition to what you would have before. Travelling is almost an unavoidable part of modern life, um, whether it's for everyday life, work or leisure or going on holiday. With regards to post-cardiac arrest, it can pose all sorts of challenges. But as a lot of the people who said when they replied to my question about travelling, a a lot of these can't be, um, it's nothing that can't be overcome. And, uh, you know, life is is for living and we, we've survived a, a, a tremendous, uh, tremendously traumatic experience and you really need to move on and try and take advantage of that extra life basically. But it's not always as easy as that and I know there's a lot of um, areas around confidence and some of the practical aspects about driving and and what people feel about going away from the, the their home country and the home environment and it can be a little bit scary going on a plane and going through all the, the security. Um, so I'm going to hopefully address some of those sort of things or go through the knowledge that I know and I have gained from the group and, as I say, what um, that has been previously talked about by Imogen and others in the group. I'm not a travel professional, but I've been in a survivor for about five years now, or over five years now, so hopefully I've got a reasonably good idea of what people can and can't do. As I mentioned, I think probably the first thing that people um, need is a bit of confidence, that, and, and you need the will to travel. I know that it can shake your confidence in, in yourself, and that People uh, get a bit of a fear of traveling, traveling you know, away from their safe space that is is their home because maybe they've lost a bit of confidence in their own body to trust it, to keep them alive. Um, and moving away from somewhere where they, they know and they feel comfortable can be quite challenging sometimes. And also for people moving to confined spaces or crowds or, or just being in an environment where people don't necessarily get your your situation because you know for a lot of people they look pretty much the same as they did before but they may feel a lot more fragile than they did before but that doesn't always come across and of course as a if you get an icd you may have a, a fear of being shocked in or being shocked in public even 
and people sometimes pick up random phobias that you know, that takes them to all sorts of strange places that they they weren't in before and you know it, it can take uh take a while to get over these fears and to get your confidence back and one thing i would say i would say it would be to take small steps to overcome these fears and it, it is best to look at doing this before you embark on a, a long or costly trip or consider going on a long or costly trip because you don't want to set yourself up for a big fall and a, and a big financial uh, cost if you you find you can't actually step on that plane or get on that boat or whatever it is you you had planned and if you you're really struggling with um your confidence i would suggest that you get professional help um, if you're a member of the the sudden cardiac arrest uk group thanks to sad uk you can get uh, professional counseling and i think a lot of people do need this and they don't realize they actually need it until they actually go a couple of things that you can do um for yourself is one one is practice mindfulness which some people think it's a little bit um wooey but it's just taking the ancient form of meditation and bringing it into a more modern scenario really and uh i know it is it's very beneficial to a lot of people and i've I've done it myself and i find it quite calming and uh there are lots of apps as well that can help you go through the motions until you sort of you're familiar with what you have to do so i'd recommend uh taking a look at that and I've got Ulster's um, self-help books and one that's been recommended several times in the group is Freedom from Fear by Howard Liebgold. And I know um, there's one chap, Richard, who, who used this to overcome a lot of things. And in terms of travelling, they've done a huge amount of travelling since uh, since they, he was in hospital and since he lacked his confidence to, to do things. So that obviously worked for him and could work for you if you're you're struggling with your confidence. Probably the first travel issue that survivors face is is driving if if you are a driver and uh it can be quite a challenge for you when you lose your independence or you, you lose that way of getting around and you end up becoming a passenger and you know it's just something that you have to get on with unfortunately and if you if you have a heart attack and you don't have if you have a heart attack before your cardiac arrest and you don't have an icd implanted i believe the suspension is just one month which will be over in no time if you have an icd implanted the um, suspension will be six months and i believe if you have another shock within that six months um it will go up to two years and you do need to tell the DVLA about these because if you don't, you're liable for a £1,000 fine, I think it is. Um, It's probably worth noting that do make sure that you fill out the forms correctly and that you actually, and you're surrendering your driving licence because if you fill them out incorrectly, you can end up getting it revoked, which means it's harder to get your licence back. Um, I'm not going to go into depth about driving license because it is a whole big subject on its own and I think that could probably be a another podcast with get some of the right people on, on board to talk about it. Um, just I did mention about that you become a passenger. If, if you've got a, 
a sore eye wound site from your ICD, or even if your um, your chest hurt from the uh, CPR that you received, you might want to see if you can get some eye protection for the um, the, the wound area and on your chest. Um, so that you can put the seatbelt across and it'd be a little bit more comfortable while you're in the car. And if you look on our website, which is suddencardiacarrestuk.org, we have a, a page on there for ICD protection and that lists a number of um, commercial products that um, provide exactly that. And of course, you should um, look at alternative methods for getting around, you know, whether that be increasing um, the amount of walking you do. I know a lot of people suffer from fatigue after cardiac arrest, but walking is is a great exercise and it's great for not only your physical health, but your mental health as well. And of course, if, you, if you're able to do something like cycling um, or even just uh, using, the, using the bus. And it's worth noting that if you're certain cat or if, you, if you're Reliant on the bus to get around a lot, uh, if you're, say, out in the sticks or something like that, um, you may be able to get a bus pass, a free bus pass from your local council. Um, Not all councils do it, but I have heard of a number of people who've got a bus pass, and you don't have to be over a particular age. It's just um, determined by your circumstances. And if you're reliant on driving for your um, work and you feel able to go back to work, but you're prevented to by the fact that you can't drive, then it's worth looking at the government's um, access to work scheme as this provides uh, funds um, for you to be able to have a taxi or alternative method of getting to your work. Of course, it's not always going to be practical for everyone, but it certainly has helped a number of members in the group, so it's worth checking out. Okay, so well, sort of when people talk about travelling, they quite often think of holidays, not just the usual commute and getting around. So this would be a big chunk of this podcast, and um, I would say from what a lot of the feedback was to my question, what should I say in this uh, podcast, was a lot of people say, just get out and do it, you know. Going on holiday is one of the pleasures of life and uh, you should be able to go on holiday. Maybe you'll have to adjust your dreams, uh, initially anyway, but whatever's happened to you um, post-cardiac arrest, I'm I'm assuming that people who are listening to this aren't severely disabled from it. Even if you are, perhaps, there may be alternatives that you can um, do with going on holiday. I know there are plenty of companies that cater for people who are disabled or have disabilities. But what I'm saying is basically you should be able to go on holiday. It's a case of adjusting um, your dreams and your destinations to things that are you know, appropriate to you. You know, there are quite a few, a few things that you should consider when um, going on a holiday that to make sure that it is appropriate for your condition you know the type of holiday you're going on you know maybe you're an extreme sports person beforehand maybe that's not such a good idea as your first holiday afterwards but you know it's something maybe that you can work towards you know the choice of destination as well including the climate we have to think about these things a little bit more in terms of um, our heart and what's happened to us 
because um, extremes of temperature can aggravate certain heart conditions. Um, if you've had angina, for example, that, that can uh, fluctuate quite a lot with those temperature changes. And also actually getting to where you want to go and how long it's going to take you, you should really consider about um, those sort of things and looking at some staying that's appropriate to where you actually want to holiday and presumably relax and enjoy yourself and make sure that you you, um, give yourself the the best options while you're there the best accommodation that you can afford and closest to the the amenities that you can and it's also worth thinking about your medications that you need to take on on holiday and think about those well in advance a lot of this is down to planning in advance really because if you plan to fail you're going to fail basically or sorry if you fail if you fail to plan you plan to fail is that the saying i think there is so it's also you should look to cover yourself so should things go awry you know when we're when we're we've gone through an event like a cardiac arrest it can throw up all sorts of um, things in your body that you probably wouldn't have expected or they're not necessarily physical things but it can throw up psychological things within your mind and you you should just be aware that things don't always go as planned and so having plans and backups are a, a good idea and of course it's a good idea to protect yourself and by that I mean getting something like travel insurance which is a common subject within the group people asking can I get travel insurance post arrest and where's the best place to get it of course, um, for us, with a, a, essentially a heart condition, it's essential that you, you go on holiday with um, the peace of mind that you're going to be covered should anything go wrong. Because I don't think it's a legal requirement, but if something goes wrong, you could end up with a huge bill to pay. Or if it went drastically wrong and um, it could not be, it may be not you, it may be your family members. Remember that when you sign up for travel insurance, ensure that you declare all of your pre-existing conditions because you don't want to have insurance that becomes voided because you haven't given them all of the information. So if you, say, have a a multi-trip policy, make sure you do update them if um, things change before you depart. So where should you go to get your travel insurance? Well, I personally use a company called Spectrum and they seem to be fine for me, um, although I've never actually had to claim. And a, a good insurance policy, you can only tell you've got a good one when you've actually got up to claim and uh, they pay up, as you expect. But a lot of people um, swear by a couple of companies that come up quite often. Uh, they are all clear and stay sure. Uh, I've not used them before and I've got no connections with them, so by all means go ahead and uh, check them out and they've both got very good reviews so I would uh, think they'd be a good place to start at least. One thing that I do do which is because it's related to um, the insurance company I use but it's something that I've seen that anyone can use is a a website called healthscreen247.com which allows you to um, go through even if you haven't actually um, got your insurance with the spectrum or there's a couple of other companies that use this service so you can actually see how much you're roughly going to pay and what sort of questions they're going to ask you about the conditions that you have 
And I believe the sort of um, algorithm or the questions that they go through is pretty similar for most of the insurance companies that I've seen because the, the questions are very, very similar. So what are those sort of questions? Well, I went through and checked out a couple of uh, scenarios. One of those is uh, a heart attack, which is a very common um, cause of a cardiac arrest. You won't find cardiac arrest on these questions because a cardiac arrest is essentially an event rather than uh, a condition as such, and they're looking for conditions. So you won't find that on there. What you will do is you'll find questions about your heart attack, and there's quite a few of quite a quite a large proportion of cardiac arrests are caused by a heart attack. That's going to be a popular one. So they're going to ask with you how it's, how it's been tackled. Have you had a bypass, angioplasty, or a stent, and how long it ago it occurred? Um, are you a smoker? And if you are, um, or when, if you've given up, when did you give up? And how many heart attacks and how many stents? And you know, have you still got any symptoms? Are, are you able to? Um, walk 200 meters flat without becoming short of breath and have you got high blood pressure or high cholesterol i also looked at um a sort of an arrhythmia type question which is uh, lqts and the sorts of questions you get which um, are repeated for for similar things is how, how has your condition been treated and how many unplanned trips to the hospital for a reg- irregular heartbeat have you had? Uh, further investigations or treatment outstanding? Are you on blood thinners? Have you blacked out before? Have you ever been told your arteries are narrowed? Or have you experienced angina or a heart attack or breathlessness or ankle swelling, stroke or a mini stroke? To me, a lot of those questions are irrelevant to someone who's got LQTS or even any of the other sort of common channelopathy arrhythmias um, because they're not related to narrowed arteries or a heart attack or the need for blood thinners. Um, So maybe there's a lack of understanding on the insurance companies on on these um, conditions, I don't know. One of the sort of more common questions is for someone who's perhaps had an idiopathic cardiac arrest is what do they put? And for me personally, I've been told and I've seen other people who's been told that basically if you had an idiopathic cardiac arrest, the cause will most likely have been ventricular fibrillation. There's normally something else that causes the ventricular fibrillation, but we don't actually know what that is. And that's what the idiopathic part is. So, but for these insurance systems, they have uh, ventricular fibrillation on there. And the questions uh, they ask for that is almost exactly the same as LQTS, as I just said. How was the condition treated? And it normally has options for medications. Have you got a device implanted? Have you had an ablation? That sort of stuff. How many unplanned hospital visits you had? How many? What treatment and investigations have you got planned? And then, again, the whole bunch of questions regarding sort of what I would class as heart attack scenarios: the dinners, the arteries, angina, breathlessness. Um, but I, I don't know why they ask those questions, but they seem to be all all, to, all grouped together for ventricular fibrillation and LQTS. But there's a whole huge. Uh, list of these conditions and 
if you go onto that, as I said, uh, that uh, healthscreen247.com, it gives you option to type in and you can do lots of searching and try things out just to see see what sort of um, conditions they will actually cover. And obviously the more things that you say yes to, the whether you're on blood dinners and whether you've had blackouts and you, your premium is going to go up. But I found a lot of people have been surprised at how low they can actually get their policy and they're not always uh, so prohibitive that you, you can't go on holiday. So the next thing to think about is actually getting to your destination. Um, and of course, if you've got a problem with traveling in uh, whether it be any means do consider going on a nearer destination i mean the uk or lots of places around the world if you're listening to this um, podcast outside of the uk you'll be amazed at the amount of fabulous destinations that are close to your home and you know who can honestly say that they've they've seen it all i mean i know i'm in my early 50s and i know there's absolutely loads of places in the uk i still love to go and see and actually my first holiday post sca um we we did have a holiday book to um istanbul and crete it was a two two destination holiday which was about four or five months after but i was just in no state to be able to make that journey and fortunately we had good insurance and we cancelled that and we got our money back and we ended up taking a very short drive to Norfolk instead, which was uh, equally nice holiday it, in the, in that it was less stressful getting there and the actual you know accommodation was nice. And there's, there's a lot of pluses to going somewhere within um, your own country and relatively near to home. Not everyone can do that, but you know I would certainly consider that as a as an option for your first one if you can't if you can manage to cancel any pre-existing holidays that you've got booked and of course um, it's always worth consider considering alternative methods of transport so if you've got a fear of flying say um, maybe you can get the train there or as we did a couple of times we um progressed we went to france the south of france but instead of flying to the south of france we would drive or go through the uh, euro tunnel and drive down to paris and they have a service there where you can put your car on a train and that will take it overnight down to quite a few destinations into the south of france i'm not even sure i think they might go into spain as well so that saves a lot of hassle uh, and stress um and it's quite what a, a new unique experience well, it was for us a, a different experience going putting the car on the train and then um, taking an overnight train um which was the, the kids absolutely loved that um you don't have to take an overnight one you can get one of the uh the fast trains down which are about four or five hours i think it is and of course there's um letting other people take the strain by perhaps going on a coach or um or a boat you know and when i mean boat you could either get the boat across the channel or you could um take a cruise um and if you go on one of the big ones um they often have so many facilities on board including doctors so if you're lacking in confidence because you want to be near a, a doctor then that may be a good option and I would I would say maybe build some confidence before you, before you go on anything that's uh, a, a long 
journey or a long time away by by doing short trips. I mean, I had sort of developed a, a bit of a fear of flying. I'm not sure if it was partly caused by the fact that the first, I think, four or five months after I was uh, off after my cardiac arrest, there were several plane crashes and uh, terrorist incidents. And uh, basically, I really didn't want to go on a plane. And that took a, a good couple of years to get over that. And the first trip we did, we did, I found the shortest pretty much the shortest flight we could go on and I just went with myself and my wife and we flew across from South End to Amsterdam which was less than an hour and uh, that was a great little uh, break to sort of just get back into the the feeling of going through um, the the motions of flying again and I have sort of uh, talked a little bit about this before but when we go to these destinations we really do need to make sure that they are suitable for our condition you know if they do have temperature extremes perhaps we should be you're desperate to go there perhaps you should look at perhaps traveling out of the peak of the the temperature extremes and uh, so you can get to it but just perhaps at a different time and look at the altitude that you're going to. Um, going to high altitudes can reduce the oxygen in the air and can make it very difficult to breathe for some people. So if you do have a, a heart condition that is affecting your um, your EF and you, you do get out of breath, then do consider whether you should be going to somewhere that's got a high altitude. And be aware that some medications can make you very sensitive to the sun. Not sure which ones they are off the top of my head, but I know there are. So be wary of that before you go to somewhere that's sunny. And of course, this is practical advice for anyone, really. Do make sure that you always hydrate appropriately. So if you're sitting in the sun a lot, um, do make sure you drink plenty of water and not alcohol. And it's probably also worth noting that the British Heart Foundation have got some good resources on how the extremes of temperature can affect your heart. So worth checking those out. Of course, if people are going on holiday or traveling, more often than not these days, flying is involved. Although, you know, we should all be looking to reduce the amount of flights we make because of environmental impact. And, um, but if it's, if you've, you're desperate to go on the plane or you've got to go because of work or something like that and you're not sure about it because of what's happened to you maybe it's best to just double check with your doctor first and if he gives you the the go ahead and you're still not uh, fully confident do give the airline uh, a ring that you're going to be going with because they will have a special assistance team and they can help you with all sorts of things and if, if you have um fatigue or any particular issues they may be able to help with your bags or transporting you around the airport and if you actually need any oxygen uh, on board i would say give yourself plenty of time to to do all the things that you have to do when you're flying like the checking in and the boarding and going through passport control and try to enjoy it as part of the experience. You know, give yourself an extra half an hour, hour, whatever it is, so that you're not rushed, so that you can take it in your stride. And remember, you know, if you are nervous or when you get to the actual plane, remember that the 
the crew's main purpose is is passenger safety. So they will be trained to deal with with many different scenarios, and they're um, well versed at helping passengers. Uh, also, it's worth remembering if you've got medications in liquid form. Remember, you can only take up to a hundred milliliters on plane normally. And if you need to take more, then uh, you will need to get a letter from your doctor and approval from the airline before you travel. When you're on board, I'd say stay hydrated uh, and avoid alcohol. And if you're going to go on for more than a a few hours, then make sure that you um, move around. And if there is any uh, potential of DVTs, then wear the special socks and, and it and it's essential to move around them. Just keep the blood flow throwing around. Well, a common question within the group about people who go flying, and not even when you're flying, actually, is when you have the ICD and uh, the security aspect of that, going through security. First thing to do is ensure that you have your ICD card and the proof of uh, a device and the settings. It's just common sense to to carry this with you you should have been given that when you left the hospital when you had the the device implanted if you don't you can possibly get it from your hospital or some of the actual device manufacturers Um, they have a a page on their website where you can actually um, request one i'm not sure if all of them do but certainly boston scientific do and Recently, someone posted in the group that they had an extended time through the security area because they didn't have their uh, proof of ICD card and they've been told that the rules are going to become stricter going through. So it's definitely worth getting one of those. When you do come up to the the security area, do inform security staff um, that you do have a device as they usually are well versed with these scenarios and they're well trained and you know i've gone through the airport many times now and i just mention it to them and they normally guide you to a a special machine or they 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 hand check you or guide you to a special machine but i've also um equally just passed through the normal shield the normal scanner and you know as long as you go through at a normal pace and you don't linger around, it's not going to be a problem. Modern scanners will not affect your device. They won't make it go off or they won't reprogram it. And there's a, there's a couple of good um, videos on the internet um, by a guy who's a, an ex-Medtronic, um, I think it is, um, worker, and he's got an ICD and he talks a lot about this and I'll... I'll I'll link to this in the uh, show notes. And it's also worth remembering if an ICD ever detects external interference, it will usually initiate the the patient alert um, system, which is a beeping or a vibrating. So you will know about it. It's not something that you're just going to, your device is going to stop working. You won't know about it. So I wouldn't worry. Going through security should not be an issue for anyone with an ICD really one question comes up every now and again is do I take my home monitor generally uh, the advice is no you don't need to bother because 
what can a hospital do if something gets flagged up anyway? You're going to be many miles away from them and really you need to go to somewhere that's local to you. The only um, advice about that is if if you are going for a longer period, say maybe you've got a holiday home somewhere and you stay there for a couple of months, maybe the home monitor will pick up um, signs that maybe your device is failing or some, your meds need adjusting. And if you're able to get back to your home hospital easily enough, maybe then that's that's worthwhile taking it. But generally the advice is don't worry about it. And if you're concerned about where you're going, maybe this is your first trip abroad and you want to know, um, have all the contingencies in place, there's a, a page on our website, um, which is southerncardiacarrestuk.org slash ICD support centre locator with dashes between those words. And that's got a list of the four main uh, manufacturers and their international sites where their hospitals with specialists are listed so if you want to check whether there's a hospital near you where you're going that's got someone who knows about your device or your types of device then have a look at it first and note those details down put it into your holiday plans one thing that many of us have to deal with is medications that go along with uh, life after cardiac arrest this will be common to many people who have got a condition, Doesn't not just heart conditions, but do make sure that you've got enough to cover your trip plus emergencies because you never know if you're going to get delayed for whatever reason. And The advice is generally contact your GP six weeks before travelling to ensure that you've got enough to cover you um, because usually you can only order a certain amount of medications. I know for, for me personally, I'm on bisoprolol and I can only order two months at a time. So I just have to make sure that I've got the right amount of medication before I go. When you travel, make sure that you carry your medications with you. Um, if you've got enough to be able to split between more than one bag, then that's great. Um, I wouldn't put it in your whole luggage because if that was to go uh, astray and you get to your destination and you're desperate for your medications, then you're going to be panicking a little bit one thing to do make sure that your medications are not on the ban list for the country you're visiting i did have a look at some of the uh the sorts of medications and generally i don't think they're heart related ones but um i'm not an expert and i would suggest you go and have a look for yourself if you've got any other um a list of them there's a couple of websites you can look at gov.uk slash traveling dash control dash drugs and i think that one lists um the actual ingredients of the medication so you need to look at the ingredients that are on the boxes of your meds and the other one is nhs.uk slash common dash health dash questions slash medicines slash can dash i take dash my dash medicine dash abroad that was can i take my medicine abroad and that's got lots of great information about medications and other general medic uh, health related questions when you're going abroad as well so this is a good site the nhs site and i'll make sure that your medications are labeled clearly and in the original packaging 
and it's important to take a copy of your prescription and possibly a doctor's note if you've got a complicated prescription or a selection of medications. And if you're going to go for a, a prolonged period, I'll perhaps see if you can get that translated into the local language that you're going to and try and get the generic name of medicines as as brands are can vary per country. Um, and be aware that your GP may actually charge you for this service. My final thing about going on holiday is the activities that you do when you're there. Because it's no good point just going on holiday and just, well, there is a point to just going on holiday and relaxing and not doing anything. That's, that's a perfectly good reason, actually, and I will be doing that soon. But um, quite often people want to do um, some forms of activity like swimming and running and cycling and snorkeling and all sorts of stuff. And usually there's no reason why you shouldn't do those things. Obviously be wary of your underlying condition of why your cardiac arrest happened. Hopefully your um, doctors will have um, medicated or given you an ICD uh, as appropriate. But... You know, lots of people have fears about, will I swim again? Will I run again? Or will I do this, that or the other again? Generally speaking, most of those things you can do. Um, you only need to think if you've got an ICD is obviously you need to stay away from magnets that are uh, emitting a, a large uh, electromagnetic field. And if you've got a particularly vulnerable heart for some reason don't do anything that will put you in jeopardy because of that but i know people who've done i if you're going to go swimming make sure that there are other people around if you have an icd um just in case you get shocked and go unconscious then you've got someone who can rescue you um but i've done plenty of swimming and people go running i've known people who are worried about ever running again after their cardiac arrest cycling yeah all the usual sorts of things a couple of things that come up can i snorkel yes i don't think there's any reason why most people can't snorkel again scuba diving that's a little bit more out there i think you should probably get a little bit more of a advice from your gp or your cardiologist on that but i have seen people who go scuba diving again um and if you're heading off to some of the theme parks roller coasters I've seen plenty of people saying that they've gone on the roller coaster with no problem whatsoever. I mean, pretty much every roller coaster you'll go will have a sign by it saying you shouldn't go on it if you've got a heart condition. But, you know, you've got to live your life if you want to do it. Generally, as long as the ride hasn't got a strong magnetic field, generally these magnetic fields are fairly small and you're, you're sitting away from them, so you're normally okay um but work your way up to these sort of things if you 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 like going on rides go on some of the smaller ones first see how you cater for that because sometimes it's not just about the icd icd it's about how you feel as well and of course if you're unsure about anything ask your doctor and ideally a cardiologist um as i say most of these uh, things you can do and it's just a case of maybe building up to it, getting a bit of confidence, checking with your cardiologist and uh, having a good time generally. 
you, know, you may need to adjust your your sights on what you do and what you don't do but everyone can pretty much go on holiday i think so just about wrapping up this uh, episode of uh, life after cardiac arrest podcast uh, hopefully you found this um, information interesting if you're in the group please do comment um, on the thread when i post this um uh, the notification of this po- podcast is uh, available. If you don't, uh, if you're outside of the group, there's the web page as well that uh, goes along with this. Please comment on there. Or if you've enjoyed this podcast or any other podcasts that I've done um, in the Life After Cardiac Arrest series, please do leave a review on the Apple. I'm not sure if you can do it on Google or other places, but uh, Apple in particular. And just to finish off with um, notification about the Not Alone event that we're holding in September on Saturday the 28th, which is at uh, Barnsdale Hall in uh, or near Oakham in Rutland, which is a very central location in the UK. We'll be having uh, a whole host of speakers there talking about memory issues, uh, fatigue, and we've got four cardiologists um, talking about range of subjects from um, and q and a in interactive sessions. We have a clinical psychologist um, we've got someone who's a um, expert in uh, health in the heart health in activities um, we've got lots and lots of people coming and Lots of opportunities to speak with other survivors and rescuers and other people who've gone through a similar experience to probably what you've gone through. So do come along and it's um, our events are really highly rated and it's an absolutely fantastic way to move on in your recovery. Meeting other people um, is one of the best things you can do. So hopefully we'll see you there soon and um, look forward to seeing you. Bye bye.